This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. boys are back, back. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception Perception, the show. All right, welcome everybody to Reception Perception, the show. I am not James Coe. We got no James Coe tonight. Um, instead, I, Matt Harmon, I'm still me. I'm just on the other end of this thing. I'm Matt Harmon, and instead... We get to be joined by Alex Gelhar. Gelhar, welcome back to the show, buddy. How are we doing? Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, apologies in advance to the listeners at probably the downgrade from James to you at host and then massive downgrade from you to me at analyst. But we're going to do our best here. We're going to plug it out, you know, NFC South style and, and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a first place team in the NFC South. There has to be a show even without James. Um, that's just the way these things go. Look, we've already got dogs on the show, too. Now we're off to a rocking start. Oh, my God. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, beautiful show. Okay. Let's get right into this, Gelhar. First thing I want to talk about today, A.J. Brown's absolute eruption spot against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, three touchdowns, that's cool enough, right? But the way he scored those three touchdowns, all of them on go routes, all of them doing like kind of the things that I think most casual folks don't expect out of A.J. Brown because, you know, we, we could dive into this a little more. He shines so brightly and like, the yak moments and like 50 50 balls and stuff like that. But just the way he won against uh, the Steelers was incredibly impressive to me. Um, Where were you at on like AJ Brown as a fantasy guy coming into this year? And what's been kind of your takeaway about his season so far, but especially that game uh, here in week eight. Yeah. So coming into the season, I was optimistic, but a little concerned about the target share with Devonta Smith being there, Dallas Goddard and putting all of this on the shoulders of Jalen Hurts, you know, we hadn't really seen him prove it in an offense where he was going to sling it uh, with this level of frequency. But I think you're right. The way that AJ Brown is winning and they're using him is so fun to watch because if you just think back or like picture in your mind, like AJ Brown highlights, like you said, it's like him catching a slant or a dig and then breaking three or four tackles and just, you know, ripping off down the field for 70 yards. But some of those touchdown passes uh, last night or yesterday where he was winning, like you said, on go routes and Hertz was hitting them on beautiful balls down the sidelines. It was awesome to see and like frightening for opposing teams that, <laughs> yeah. you know, AJ Brown has developed this new skill. And I, I was thinking about the same thing when you had put this on the rundown. So I pulled up his RP numbers and last year he only ran a nine route on, you know, 12.2% of his uh, routes that you charted, which was a lower number. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the numbers are this year per in season, but 
just that he's doing that type of route and being successful on it is is kind of frightening and, and really cool to see him add that to his game because it was not what was anticipated uh, when I was first looking at this move. Yeah, like vertical outside the numbers stuff. That's actually more of like Devontae Smith's game, even though, you know, we think of he's the skinnier guy. He's like a pure separation receiver. But really, there were a lot of moments, uh, at least as a rookie, where you know, Hertz and Devontae Smith hit on those plays. So, and we've actually seen that plenty this year too, right? Like we've seen Devonte Smith shine in the, in the vertical game, but the fact that AJ Brown um, did what he did against the Steelers in that fashion, like it, it made it all the more impressive for sure, because I think what is underrated about AJ Brown is how good of a separator he is. And that's like the big reason why I wanted to talk about him because, you know, last year you brought up the reception perception data, great website. People should check it out. Receptionperception.com, uh, if you haven't heard of it so far, well, welcome to the show. I don't know what the hell you're doing here. If you've never heard of the website, but last year he was third in success rate versus man coverage. He's been like top five in success rate versus man and press in, uh, 2021 and 2020. Like, he gets open against man and press coverage at the rate of guys that are like Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams, you know, especially Diggs, like a smaller receiver like that. But Brown has always been up there. So in a way, I think he's actually, you bring up like the Stefan Diggs part of it. He really is kind of being lifted to sort of a higher tier of wide receivers by this move that's been made him going from Tennessee to Philadelphia. Yeah, it's uh, it's super fun to watch, and you could always tell he was a great separator. But it seemed that his skill set more naturally uh, provided for like those in breaking routes where he could use his size and physicality a little more. But some of the ones that might take a little more nuance, like getting open on the go routes or some more subtle moves, you know, at the break point or the stem, uh, it's cool to see him doing that stuff now. And like I said, just absolutely terrifying for the the rest of the NFC. And the beautiful part about this offense for fantasy, dude, is like they don't get anybody else involved. Like there's occasionally a Zach Pascal play, whatever, but like it's Jalen hurts. It's AJ Brown. It's Devonte Smith. It's a little bit Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders, but like, that's it. There's no little like ancillary players that like, Oh, this guy's going to steal a touchdown or something like that. For the most part, it's just the dudes. And we love those type of offenses for fantasy. We absolutely do. There's no Alexander Madison coming in on the goal line to steal your <laughs> oh, Delvin cook touchdown every other week. Uh, I say this not as somebody with uh, some shares of Delvin Cook this year, but uh, no, it is great for fantasy. It is great for fantasy to see a concentrated offense, and it's just a fun offense to see, man. The way they're using their pass catchers, the way they're you know exploiting Jalen Hurts' athleticism in the ground game and elsewhere, it's uh, it's been fun to watch. I had my doubts about Nick Sirianni, but the way he and his offensive yeah. staff have kind of uh, made adjustments to that offense midway through last year and then just like kicked it up a notch to 11 this year has been like, really fun to watch. I'm glad you brought up Sirianni because I think this is always how these things happen, right? Like the whoever the good teams are from a previous season, everybody sort of tries to do the copycat thing. Like they try to take the lessons from there. And I think we can actually kind of get ahead on it here with the Eagles. And I think there's two ways and we'll, we'll come back to the AJ Brown part of it. Since you brought up Nick Sirianni, I think it kind of goes underrated that Nick Sirianni was a guy that got there and I believe immediately was like, I'm going to call plays. Like I'm going to do, um, I'm going to be that offensive guy, like the Sean McVay, the Kyle Shanahan, even though he had come from Indianapolis where Frank Reich calls the plays. And then it was about midway through. I don't remember exactly when like it transitioned to, he was no longer going to call plays, but now like Shane Steichen, their offensive coordinator is their play caller. And Steichen's a guy that has a long history. You know, he was in LA at certain point or, probably San Diego at certain points with the chargers. Uh, yeah, it's hard to keep that track of that, but you know, he has 
that history kind of in his back pocket. Um, so was able to just step into that role. And I really do wonder, man, because you look at some of these teams that have the offensive minded guy, like with that in his back pocket. Um, but the guy that's not calling the plays like a Nick Sirianni, the Eagles are really, really good at game management. You know, like they're really, they're really good in those situations. And I feel like for head coaches that, call plays and also do the in-game management stuff. They also got to be somewhat involved in the defensive side of the ball. You'd think Um, it just feels like a lot to juggle. And I wonder if we'll see like a trend of offensive minded head coaches when they get hired, because everybody wants to hire that guy. Like maybe they give those up so that they can master other areas. Cause Sirianni has kind of been that so far for this team. Yeah. I mean, as much as every offensive coordinator who gets hired wants to prove that they're the next Kyle Shanahan, they're not Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you know, his uh, disciple and even um, Shanahan, even Shanahan struggles in like the game management stuff. Sometimes like there's still a lot of conservative decisions there. There's still a lot of that type of stuff. Same with McVay in L.A. Right. I was just going to, you know, but I think more often than not, the uh, Shanahan's of the world, as rare as they are, they probably give you a, a game to game, you know, down to down advantage. But yes. another example for what you're talking about, we're getting a little sidetracked, but is the Lions with Dan Campbell. You know, he just doesn't do any play calling. You never see him with the play sheet. That's all. Oh my God, what's his name? Ben Johnson or whatever. And their offense without as much talent as the Eagles still for a good chunk of the year has been one of the better units in the league. So perhaps that would be something more you see more coaches do, because if they're not going to give you a distinct advantage in the, in the play calling down to down stuff like that, then, then pass that off because you've got so much else you need to focus on. Yeah, I think Andy Reid, actually, the longer he's been in Kansas City, too, has passed off more and more duties to Eric Bieniemy as well. I mean, I know that's always like a talking point when Bieniemy comes up in the head coaching discussions. Like, well, he doesn't call the plays. Like, watch watch some Kansas City Chiefs games sometimes. Like, there are definitely times where he's got the play sheet. There's definitely um, some moments there. But, obviously, there's been a lot of not successful hires off the Andy Reid coaching tree. Uh, and Brian Dayball, the best example of it right now, like, Dayball is – a true blue offensive coordinator, you know, has called plays forever. Um, was the mastermind, the offensive coordinator of the Bills offense. Uh, ever heard of it? Pretty good unit there. And what does he do as soon as he gets to to New York? He passes that off to Mike Kafka, who obviously comes from that same Andy Reid coaching tree. And the I mean, nobody's the Giants offense is really good, man. With again, a unit without a lot of talent. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to see, and I think that's yeah, that's a good example to bring up too because they're wide receiver room, despite the uh, draft capital and money they may have spent in it has been a bit of a disappointment injuries, notwithstanding, but the ways they're using, you know, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and getting other players involved. You can tell that that's, you know, somebody that's really focused on that and not managing 12,000 things in their mind, like a head coach might have to do sometimes. So it's just a good example. And Dable was a great play caller in, in Mm -hmm. Buffalo, especially those last few years when he, you know, got uh, Josh Allen into super Saiyan mode. But, um, it's it's cool to see and and I'll be you know wanting to see if other head coaches maybe give up some of this stuff like uh mm-hmm. Matt LaFleur in uh in Green Bay for example <laughs> or or uh you know I think Kevin O'Connell's still calling plays in Minnesota and some of their efficiency stats are a little bit stark versus their heavily scripted stuff versus when they get off of script and are, are in the how about the Nathaniel game. Hackett in 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 Denver right Ooh, like boy. another guy that by the way wasn't a wasn't a play caller in Green Bay gets that job there and then you know talk about a guy that maybe needs a little bit of help in the game management uh situation i know they hired like a game management specialist but sometimes it's as simple as don't do the first thing yeah exactly man <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of good test scenarios playing out in the nfl right now and we'll have to see how the 
how the dust settles at the end of the season. And if these, uh, you know, guys that have passed off their play calling duties are, are standing alive in the postseason while the others are looking in that, that might uh, change some tunes. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's like I said, all, all the time we get the lessons from like, the, and I feel like the Eagles are going to be one of the best teams in the NFC. They're definitely the best uh, NFC team right now. It feels like there's a tier of Kansas city, Buffalo, Philadelphia, uh, and that's it. Like in terms of the, the teams we know for sure are good. And then everyone else kind of files. in after that, the second thing is obviously back to the AJ Brown point. I feel like if you are a team, you know, that has, and, and Tyree kills another example of this, a, a quarterback that you're not a hundred percent sold on I, Jalen hurts. I don't think they were um, sold on. Um, I don't think the, obviously the dolphins were a hundred percent sold on too. It's like, let's go figure it out by adding like a great pass catcher to this rotation. And then obviously the talking point in the offseason was if hey, the Eagles have to move on from Jalen hurts, they have a great uh, ecosystem that is ready and willing to welcome a veteran quarterback or young rookie or whatever. I I'm really fascinated for teams like all of these guys that are coming up in 2021, you know, that were drafted that year, Zach Wilson, that's a whole nother conversation, but like Justin Fields, great example in Chicago or, you know, new England, Mac Jones. Like I think they'll end the year without being a hundred percent sure. Uh, even Trevor Lawrence with the Jacksonville Jaguars, like they're not going to be, I think they'll be pretty sold, but they won't be a hundred percent sold. So will those teams sort of copy that mold too. It's like, let's go get a, AJ Brown type or a Tyree kill type. Those aren't available every year, but there was like 50 of them available last year. Yeah. It's the Eagles are a great example of that where, cause you said there's lots of times indecision and like the jets have loaded up a little bit and we've seen more warts maybe with Zach Wilson than we wanted to. And that might give them more of the information they need. But with the Jalen hurts thing, you know, they push their chips on the tables. Like if he can't succeed with Smith Goddard Brown, then, then there's no doubt yeah. we can feel good moving on. You know, the Jags, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, there's some pieces, but like, and, you know, Lawrence has had his, his issues this year and, uh, you know, throughout his career thus far, but we ha- haven't given him a weapon. Look at what happened with Tua when you gave him Waddle and Hill all of a sudden. The Dolphins probably feel a lot better, even in spite of his deficiencies, having a play caller and a system and the players to suit that for their quarterback. So I, I think it'd be fun to see more teams make these types of moves. You know, the bills did it back in the day, getting Stefan Diggs a bit too. Right. So it's, it's going to be fun if, if more teams that have those quarterbacks on the cusp, try to make these moves and we see what happens, but also we're spoiled right now. Mostly all of these moves have worked out. I would have hated it. You know, if Tyreek Hill and everybody else moved and then just were trash because their offenses or the quarterbacks couldn't sustain them. Maybe Devonte Adams in a little bit of that spot right now, you know, but that's like, that's different though. Cause Derek Carr just like is, is what he is. Like we don't expect him, you know, Devonte Adams not going to come in there and elevate Derek Carr. We know who Derek Carr is, or at least we should have all agreed about that coming into this year. But with guys like Hertz and Tua, there is like theoretical upside. And I think for the next group of guys, you can honestly argue that, um, the 49ers have already done this. They've already made that move. Like where they've now they've got McCaffrey, they've stacked the deck. Um, they secured Debo long-term. They still have Ayuk on a rookie contract. Like, I don't know. George Kittle obviously is on a contract extension, but we'll see They're They're certainly going to have to look at their books, but at some point, like if Trey Lance can't walk into this and I know it's like, we're talking about Trey Lance. He's on IR. He's not playing this whole year. I assume like they're still going to probably turn things over to Trey Lance next year. And it's like, well, if he can't walk in and day one, be good with this group, like forget it, it's probably over. But I feel like fields is the most interesting one because 
I don't know who the guy they would get in the off season is, but he's certainly turned his season around to a degree. And now you drop like a number one receiver, like on the come up in this group, he would certainly look a lot better. Yeah. I'm trying to rack my brain to think of who would even be available to go to uh, Chicago. I haven't done a, a good look at contracts and, you know, 2023 free agents yet, but they clearly need some help and they've been, it's been encouraging as like a general football fan to see what they have done the last few weeks with fields. It's a little distressing as a green Bay Packers fan to watch what they've been doing with fields, <laughs> but actually utilizing his absurd athleticism and getting him on the move and allowing him to run a little bit and the stresses that puts on the defense and the, the spaces that creates, I don't know why they were refusing to do that for the first five, six weeks of the season, but you know, that, I, they, they, you and I were talking about before the show, the the athletic football show with Robert Mays and Nate Tice. I was listening to that walking the dog and they were talking about how of that quarterback class, like fields has looked the best of late. Um, yeah. And he's doing it with like the least around him. I mean, he's throwing passes to Valus Jones and Equinemius St. Brown and uh, Cole Komet, who people had high hopes for, but you know, he's, he's got Darnell Mooney there and he's got some good backs, but he's not, he's not slinging it to Tyreek <laughs> Jalen Waddle. Right. So I would love to see from a general football perspective, them, them add some sort of talent. I'm not sure who it would be. They're getting the draft capital to make a trade now too, though, with the, the Roquan Smith move and the, you know, the Robert Quinn move earlier. So um, we'll have to keep our eyes on that situation. That's the thing. Um, after that whole barrage of, um, you know, DK Metcalf got a contract extension, Terry McLaurin, um, you know, AJ Brown, obviously when he got traded, Debo Samuel, we just talked about even Deontay Johnson got the extension in Pittsburgh now that like receiver class, because that draft class is all locked up, the, the receivers for next year that are going to be free agents, it's like Nelson Aguilar, Sterling Shepard, DJ Chark, your boy Randall Cobb, uh, your boy Alan Lazard, uh, Jacoby Myers, Juju Smith-Schuster. Like those are the names that are coming up now. And, and um, the only guy, uh, you know, even Nicole Hardman, like that's that's like your ooh, young promising guy, maybe. I don't know. Sammy Watkins, we're going to do that thing again. So, yeah, it's not a good free agent class. Like the key will be, is there any receiver that gets like disgruntled like a, or, or like the contract extension talk breaks down like it did with A.J. Brown last year? But I'm not really sure there's – but that's the thing. We didn't think halfway through last season A.J. Brown would be traded. We certainly didn't think like Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams would get traded. So keep our minds open, I guess, is the lesson that this receiver market has taught us. Um, back to A.J. Brown and we'll, we'll – yesterday really – like I said, it, I think that this move to Philadelphia elevates him in like the national standing because I thought coming into this year, A.J. Brown is a top five receiver. A.J. Brown has top five wide receiver talent because the separation ability, the reception perception stats we just mentioned where he was second or third in success rate versus man. He's always been top five in success rate versus press. But also in addition to the highlight reel moments, the yak opportunities, the contested catch ability. So... Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Perception, perception, the show now. James Cole and Matt Harmon. My question to you, Alex Gellhardt, because 
I get to host the show. That means I get to ask the questions now instead of answering them. Is A.J. Brown a top five receiver? And who are the top five receivers in the NFL right now, midway through the 2022 season? So I think you added the appropriate qualifier there for me to say this definitively. But right now, midway through the 2022 season, I do think A.J. Brown is a top five receiver in the NFL. I think his performance since getting to Philadelphia has left little doubt. As we talked about the way he's progressed, the way he's still dominating as he did previously, um, I think I think he's in that range, especially with some of the other guys who might have been considered around him having down years, whether individually, injury, or you know, offensively. So, I mean, if I had to pick a top five, I think I, I'd probably put Tyreek at the top at the moment, Cooper Cup, uh, Diggs, Jefferson, and Brown in, in some sort of order there. That's just coming off the top of my head, and, and you know, based on performance and things like that, but. Uh, probably put maybe Jeff Jefferson at the bottom. I don't know if it's more of his, yeah. his offense or him at the beginning of the season. I would have put him closer to the top of the tier, but uh, there's just some ways that he's been getting washed out of that Minnesota offense. And I'm not sure if that's just, they're not adjusting to the, the way teams have responded after everybody watched him just gash the Packers for 200 yards in week <laughs> one or, uh, or what it is. But um, I think, I think Brown's firmly in there right now, you know, with some other longstanding guys like Adams and, maybe even Jamar Chase at the moment because he's injured and your, right. your boy McLaurin sitting just outside, you know, looking up at the rest of the group. Ooh, we'll get, we'll get to Terry McLaurin. I'm glad you even just put his name in this conversation. Cause that, that was the, tr- that was the transition I was going to make there. So we'll come back on that one. But yeah, like this, I say this all the time. If you're ranking the top five or the top 10 or the top 12, top 15, top 20 at the position, and you feel like you didn't leave somebody off, you did the exercise wrong uh, because there's just so many good players at every level um, of the wide receiver position right now. And yeah, like I think right now, Stefan Diggs has been the best receiver in the NFL this year. I think Tyree kills a close second, if not number one. Um, and yeah, at that point, then it's like Cooper cup. It's, I agree with you. I think I put Brown a little bit ahead of Justin Jefferson, but I feel like Jefferson rounds out five, but I don't know that I feel comfortable not having Devonte Adams in that, in that top five though. Right. Because despite the the stats and all that stuff being down, like it's not, it's not him, right? Like he's all, he's still the same player, but it's just the ecosystem that he's in right now. Yeah, for sure. It's not like he suddenly forgot how to be the best route runner in football. It's just that offense right now, whether it's McDaniels or Carr or a combination of everything has not supported him the way that the Green Bay offense used to, which was a lot of a thing a lot of us kind of predicted we weren't hoping yeah. for. But that Green Bay offense was so tilted towards Adams in the passing game. And now he's in an offense where it's not. And, you know, whether that's working to the, the Raiders' detriment, I mean, look at their look at their uh, standings right now. It's not going Probably well. is. But, yeah, you know, for, for me, for Hill over, over Diggs, I just think it's been impressive to see Hill in this offense without Patrick Mahomes still making a lot of the similar plays, but also some other like impressive plays. Like I, Tyreek Hill has won so many jump balls and he's not a big yeah. like jump ball receiver. So to see him adding those elements or at least just showcasing those elements to his game that weren't as necessary when he had the Andy Reed, Patrick Mahomes combo. And now he's still got a good coach coordinator, but Tua is not Patrick Mahomes. So no. to see him be able to catch some of those more contested catches and, and jump ball throws, uh, out of such a regular basis and look so dominant so far has, has been why I might put him at the top. But I mean, Diggs, Diggs is phenomenal too. It's, it's, we're talking about the cream of the crop here. They're all, they're all phenomenal. Yeah. They're all, they're all fantastic. Like it's all splitting hairs type of stuff, but um, yeah, the just Tyree kill is unbelievable. Cause I still think, you know, there are plenty of times where Tua like 
doesn't lead Tyree kill, but they still get this chunk. It's like, who cares? Uh, it's like, sure. Is Tua going to be the best deep ball passer in the NFL throwing to like, I don't know. Um, Devonte Smith or whatever, who cares? He's not throwing to Devonte Smith, he's throwing to Tyree kill. Right. So like it, he's going to, and that contested catchability. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I think that's always been the most underrated part about Tyree kills game. And why I've always thought he's kind of like the modern day, Steve Smith. It's like a guy who can go up in 50, 50 high point balls um, because he is just tougher pound for pound than everybody else. So, yeah. And, and I think like he's definitely in terms of, guys that just change the math, like change the way defenses approach you. He's probably number one on that list. You know, like there are very few actual coverage dictators in the NFL. Tyree kill is one of those. So that's why I think he, again, I'm a digs bro. Like, and, and, you know, I'm a long time digs guy. So that's why I want to have him at that number one spot, especially because the way him and Josh Allen are just so on the same page right now, it's just unbelievable. Like they're bringing out the best in each other. So I'll put Diggs one spot ahead of Tyree kill. And then I think I'd have, oh man, I like I'd have Cooper cup third. It's just weird when you rank Cooper cup because he's just so different than all of these other guys that makes it really hard. And I know he's injured right now, or he's probably going to play next week anyways, who cares? But um, I, I will say like there, there is no way that you could ask, Cooper cup to play in like the Stefan Diggs role. But I think you could ask Stefan Diggs to play in the Cooper cup role. That's why I still have him third. Um, but like AJ Brown. Yeah. I think he'd be five, four. And then I think it's between Adams and Jefferson at five. And it's just like recency bias. For, and then we're not even like talking about Jamar chase, who I do think belongs in the conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the chase injury really kind of sucks the life out of his discussion in here, especially since the Bengals finally changed their offense around and let, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase do what they're good at. And they were really starting to cook and it was really fun. So that that injury is a huge bummer. And it'll be interesting to see how that that offense plays out on Monday night as uh, we're recording this about an hour away from the game time. But yeah, it feels that not no disrespect to Chase. He would probably be more in the conversation, but he's going to be out for a month or whatever, unless he's got that Wolverine blood and comes back faster. But uh, <laughs> oh, no, it's we got an embarrassment of riches at the top of this class, man. It's so fun. Like you said, Cooper Cup plays in such a unique role, but damn, is he good in that role? It's just yeah. every time they, and I mean, it's part of the scheme and it's part of Stafford, but it's him too. Like he's just, how is he always so open? It's just incredible. When you like are just watching the broadcast film, he, I mean, the Hill and Waddle have gotten a little bit of that, but just every time Stafford's throwing it, there's Cooper cup with like five yards of space. And I know he's so good after the catch and so strong. And uh, he's, he's just a fantastic all around player. You know, you talk about guys that are like quarterback friendly, like he's the most quarterback friendly receiver ever, um, you know, which is why he was always so good, even with Jared Goff. And, you know, Goff is I think people bag on Goff pretty hard because he used to be the number one quarterback. And like we all knew, you know, even back when we were working together at NFL, I feel like we were always like, OK, you know, yeah, this is a lot of McVay. And it was a lot of Sean McVay. And, you know, we've seen how the offense when they don't have like me and you out there playing offensive tackle for him, that offense is elevated to another level. Uh, when, when Matthew Stafford is there as opposed to Jared Goff. But now you see like a, a guy in Cooper Cup who's that quarterback friendly receiver get taken to another level by a guy like Matthew Stafford. So it is, I don't know, I, I, I think he's I, I think he's just a really unique player and it's almost like not even worth comparing. Like, why is he so open to everybody else? Because he's the best zone beating receiver in the NFL. Like he runs routes like he is a quarterback. He understands coverages like he's a quarterback. He talks about this stuff like his he used to be his dad was a quarterback, like all that type of stuff. So that's um 
I don't know. He's a really fascinating player, but yeah, it's, it's hard to rank the top five receivers in the NFL, but I think the one takeaway you and I both have is that AJ Brown belongs in the conversation. Like not even a discussion at this point. Like I do think it's, he's got to be in there over Justin Jefferson as good as Justin Jefferson is. And as excited we, as we all were for him in fantasy, I can't believe Jefferson hasn't scored since week one. I didn't even realize that. And it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, well, didn't he get a rushing touchdown or something? I thought, I yeah, thought he yeah, snuck he one did. in, he but did. he hasn't caught one since we caught a touchdown. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's what it was. Yeah. But uh, he did. It was against the Saints, I believe. He rushed a touchdown. I mean, he's been fantastic. He's been putting up absurd catches and yardage totals. It's like you get a 98-yard uh, game for Justin Jefferson. I don't want to hear you complain about that in fantasy football, okay? Like, there's <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> Imagine the people who took like Najee Harris or something in the first round, okay? Like, you think yeah. of, think about how they're feeling right now. So, Oof. yeah, we'll move on. But yeah, top five receivers in the NFL, AJ Brown belongs, and it's a tough group to rank. And it would have been a lot tougher if we considered a top 10 list. But we'll move on to a guy that I think belongs in the top 10 discussion in the NFL. Um, and I actually think like in another universe would belong in the top five discussion. I'm really glad you brought his name up. It's Terry McLaurin. And my question to you is, is Terry McLaurin back back after a slow start to the season? I, it's tough to say because how long is Taylor Heineke going to stay as his quarterback? I think McLaurin is unlocked a little bit. He's one of those guys that is also not massive, but he's got great speed. He's a savvy route runner. He's terrific at winning the ball in the air and in contested catch situations. And Heineke, it seems, has been a little more willing to sling it out there and let let Terry be Terry. So I think that's what's helped is his quarterback having confidence in him. You know, a couple of those big plays that Terry had the last couple of weeks, there was the one where he was barely open against Jair Alexander and, you know, Heineke just trusted him and threw it out there and he made the play. And then there was the great play he made against Stefan Gilmore this past oh, week yeah. where he just went up and ripped it away from him. Um, you know, it, I think it helps having a quarterback that's not to use the dumb gunslinger thing that gets thrown around with Taylor Heineke, but like somebody who's not afraid to pull the trigger a little more. Cause, cause Heineke is one of the, or excuse me, McLaurin's one of those guys that can, that can win like that. And that helps him. You know, just seeing, looking at some of his his numbers from earlier when it was uh, Wentz under center, and like the target share is not that drastically different. But I think maybe the types of balls that are getting thrown his way are helping. But man, I just I want the best for McLaurin. I want to see him with a better quarterback because I feel like he could you know lead the league in receiving uh, if he had a more consistent and accurate and willing passer. Yeah, I've I've said this on this show and a few other places. You know, over the course of the year, or even dating back to the offseason, that like. I feel the same way about Terry McLaurin as I did um, Stefan Diggs in Minnesota, where it was all like, we all agreed Stefan Diggs was a great player. And I'm like, no reception perception showing you this guy is literally an elite receiver. Okay. Like he is a top five guy. Like he should be considered as such, but the stats weren't there because he's playing with Kirk cousins. who's just different type of quarterback playing with other guys that needed the ball. They ran the ball a lot too in Minnesota. Um, and I, it's all, I think that's who Terry McLaurin is, too, that in any other universe, he would be a top five receiver or multiverse, I guess, uh, To since you're a big dork and you're on the show. I'm totally not a dork either. And, you know, whatever. But no, not at um, all. No, not at all. But, yeah, there's like a multiverse where Terry McLaurin gets the Stefan Diggs treatment and like goes to play with a great quarterback. But unfortunately, we live in the one where like the best we can do is Taylor Heineke. But good God, man, like. This is a thousand percent better than Carson Wentz. Terry McLaurin is uh, sixth in the NFL in receiving yards the last two weeks with te- with Taylor Heineke under center. It's just remarkable what a difference it has been. You know, there were a couple games ahead before this where 
he was only getting a couple catches, few yards. I mean, like very pedestrian stat lines that don't match the level of player and the quality he is. So it's been nice to see him bounce back and, and catch those deep targets and be able to get some things on the move that are thrown a little more on time to let him, you know, carry and, and get some yak. So I, I'm encouraged by it. And if you were somebody that, uh, you know, drafted Terry McLaurin early, you're happy with this. And maybe it's a chance to try and, uh, you know, swing a trade for Terry McLaurin here as this trend continues. Yeah. And this is just so beautifully, like just encapsulates the wide receiver position. Like after that slow start, Terry McLaurin now is wide receiver 17, you know, of course, like you could put a couple of big games together and like, Oh, right. Now you're just back into the top 20 of the position when he was like, well out of that. And, you know, he's still like, that's a right around where he was drafted was like wide receiver, 15, 17, that type of area. So fantasy is just funny, man. You got to like rock with the highs and lows. And just on this point too, with Terry McLaurin, like Carson Wentz is a more physically gifted quarterback than Taylor Heineke. And anyone with a set of eyeballs would agree. I think Taylor Heineke might even, although I don't know with the way he plays, he might not agree. He might, he might literally think he's Patrick. Mahomes. <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of that in him. There's not that dog in him. There's that wannabe Patrick Mahomes in him, but yeah. Yeah. But ODU's finest, man. You got to give him, you got to give him credit for, um, like knowing who the guy is in this offense, and they're two and zero during the stretch too. Like you can't complain about target shares when like a team is winning, but like they're two and zero with Taylor Heineke under center. They were not that way with Carson Wentz under center, and I think the thing that's just impressed about this, like I like the other guys on the offense, right? I'm a longtime Curtis Samuel guy. Like I like John Dotson, you know, uh, the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia, Logan Thomas. He's he's a good tight end there. They've got backs that can catch the ball, but it's like okay, that's great. But when I'm even sitting here telling you, like, you're overdoing it with Curtis Samuel, like, that's when you know you've reached a pretty dark place. Yeah, I forgot. First of all, I forgot all of your connections to this team. I obviously remembered the ODU Taylor Heineke connection. But yeah, Curtis Samuel, an old RP guy and Logan Thomas. But yeah, it's disgusting, uh, disgusting. The amount of connections I have to the Washington Commanders. I'm not comfortable with it, to be clear. Yeah, that's a little frustrating uh, from a life perspective. But It'd be good to see them kind of stick with this and keep McLaurin more involved. I think using Curtis Samuel and some of the creative ways they have been doing is good. But as you said, that over-reliance on that is a little bit like, oh boy, what are we doing here? And and it's just, it's nice to sprinkle that in. But when that's becoming like your bread and butter, your go-to plays, that's a little frustrating from an offensive perspective. So I think Heineke has opened up a little bit more for them of the downfield passing. Aside from just remembering back to week one when Jahan Dotson was healthy and caught those two touchdowns and Wentz was throwing it deep, like that just went away. But that's kind of the Carson Wentz experiment. Sometimes he's, uh, he's, you know, looking like that MVP candidate from the Eagles Super Bowl year. And then other times he's looking at the guy that the Colts couldn't wait to get rid of. So not fun. Uh, the Carson Wentz experience is like not fun to watch. Uh, it was just like, close your eyes and like, look at the fantasy totals at the end of it. Sometimes at least in the first like two or three weeks or whatever, but it, the juice runs out real fast of that one. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've got Taylor Heineke back there. Um, I do think Terry McLaurin is back and like, he's not on, you know, for the fantasy angle. Like I think him and DJ Moore have like graduated out of the, start sit questions like you should be playing these guys every week you should be glad you have them um if you survive even dj Moore now after like a disaster um 
a disaster start, to, literally a disaster. I mean, Terry McLaurin is like, oh, this is not great. DJ Moore was a total disaster to start the year. He's wide receiver 22 now, you know? Like, I mean, wasn't James advocating him for dropping him on this very show like three or four weeks ago? He was not alone either. He was not alone because he was the worst type of player to have in fantasy where nobody wants to trade for him. You can't start him. And you know, like, you know, he's good. Just, oh, yeah. you know, you know, he's good at football, but it's, it's just not coming in the production. But I'm telling you, if, if Baker Mayfield's still the quarterback there, we're not having this conversation, too, because like, again, Baker Mayfield might be better. Is he, I don't even know if he's better than PJ Walker. That's different than the Wentz thing. But like, he might be more. Ta- I actually, you know what? I don't know if he's more talented. I was gonna say, did PJ you Walker. see some of those throws PJ Walker made <laughs> no. on Sunday? That throw to DJ Moore was absurd. Everybody was like, "Oh my God, Moore!" And I was like, "Did you see that throw? He was rolling yeah. out to his left and whipped that thing like sixty yards." Yeah. Uh, Never mind. Walker. No, yeah, Baker Mayfield Walker. just Baker Mayfield just sucks. Okay, but like, yeah, PJ Walker. If he's not the starting quarterback, we're not having this conversation about DJ Moore. So it made sense, like why folks um you know wanted you to drop him because but it, the thing with talented players is you have to always be accept like you have to accept that if you drop this guy and he's on somebody else's roster dunking on you by the end of the year you have to be okay you you can't like hate yourself when you look in the mirror that's the only qualification there oh yeah i mean i'm sure i'm not alone when i was uh you know glaring at Kyle Pitts's like 20 fantasy points on my bench after i had finally committed to benching him a couple weeks in a row as he was disappointing and then he, oh. then he finally pops off. I'm happy. I'm happy it's on my bench and not on somebody else's team. But still, it, players like Moore and Pitts and, and you know, what like you said, with their talent level and your your cost that you invested in them in the draft, it's, it's so hard to let it go. But um, I'm happy I'm happy for all these guys that they're bouncing back and the fantasy teams that I have them on. <laughs> their fans bouncing back. This is Reception Perception, the show now. James Cole and Matt Harmon. It's Halloween as we are recording this. I figured this would be a good time um, to visit some forgotten young guys who are back from the dead. Uh, some young receivers, young-ish, I guess, receivers, you could call them, uh, for some of these guys that are popping up a little bit after, for most of these guys, literally doing nothing to start the year. So let's start with uh, Paris Campbell in Indianapolis. Like, on the other side of that Terry McLaurin performance, you know, Paris Campbell over the last three weeks has been really involved in, um, you know, the last two games with Matt Ryan, the last Matt Ryan games in Indianapolis, it was like, all right, he's getting like little bunny hop passes. Um, They're just throwing the piss out of the ball. Like the second highest neutral pass rate in that span. This is not going to continue when Sam Ellinger's back in there. And it wasn't the same statistical performance, but man, I, I was watching almost all of that game yesterday. Cause I have a sick attachment to the Washington commanders because of so many guys I like on that roster. Paris Campbell is still popping up with like yak plays, like big plays. And that was my takeaway watching that offense is like Paris Campbell included, like they have a lot of guys who can make plays for him there. Yeah, they do. And you know, you pointed out cause like Paris Campbell had three touches yesterday, but he took those three touches for what is it? 71 yards. He had two catches yeah. and a rush. So the guy's got juice and the way he was being used reminded me of like kind of like a souped up Jarvis juice Landry from way back in his mm. dolphins days where he was not catching a lot of, you know, deep or interesting targets, but he was able to get yak and it was a PPR machine. I mean, like you said, the Colts were throwing an absurd amount those last two Matt Ryan games, but uh, Campbell had 23 targets still over that, that run, which is a, is a pretty sizable share. I will have to see how it shakes out with Ellinger in there, but 
I, I don't know. I wasn't totally buying it. I guess when Matt Ryan was in there, I wasn't sure it was going to sustain, but now with the quarterback change, I'm even, I'm even less optimistic, but it was good to see like a, a pulse pop up on Paris Campbell for a couple games. Yeah. He's ninth among wide receivers and targets in the last three weeks. Like most of those were the inflated Matt Ryan games. Cause Michael Pittman is third among wide receivers and targets in that span. Um, I still think Michael Pittman who, you know, we kind of got a lot of what I was hoping for with Sam Ellinger. That was just like, just go in there and target the hell out of Michael Pittman. Now he did get tackled at the one yard line. I'm still pissed. That was not a touchdown. Come on, man. Just, just yeah. come on. <laughs> they couldn't give it to us, especially in a league where I had Sam Ellinger starting in a two QB league and Michael Pittman. I was, I was tilting off the planet on then, but I, I'm optimistic for Sam Ellinger and what he could maybe do to this offense. Like I thought he threw the ball pretty well in his first start. He had a couple nice deep targets and obviously, I mean, he's a sixth round pick with minimal yeah. experience in the NFL. So it's going to take him a little bit to get settled in. But there were there were some reasons for optimism. And uh, I just don't know how much that optimism in his performance might lift players like Paris Campbell, too. It might be a spot where Paris Campbell is a much more interesting and viable real life football player than fantasy football player. That's kind of where I'm at with with Paris Campbell is that I think I've never actually been the biggest Paris Campbell guy because I think he's like just a gadget player. I don't think he's really like a real wide receiver, but that's great. Like, you know, you need like 10, 12 targets from these gadgets. He got, think of like Rondell Moore. You need like eight targets at a minimum with Rondell Moore. Cause he still has like a 1.3 a dot or whatever, like against the, against the Vikings yesterday. Um, so like you need, that's not going to come with Paris Campbell, but the juice plays can still be there. So I think you summed that up really well. And Alec Pierce still a guy like, um, that's like, I kind of get why they keep trying to just drop a veteran quarterback in there and just like, let him go. Cause they've got dudes who can make plays. Even Naheem Hines still has like one or two crazy plays out of the backfield every now and again. So, um, I'm, I'm not going to like be buying the Paris Campbell thing in fantasy, but I think it helps the Colts a lot. And I agree with you. I thought Ellinger looked pretty good. Like there was even a pass that, by the way, Michael Pittman should have caught that pass, um, right before the end of the game that I was like, Oh, that was that was about as open as it can get. And, you know, maybe we're still talking about it, you know, them driving into field goal range at that point. So uh, we'll see what happens with the Colts going forward. Another guy I wanted to bring up Terrace Marshall. I mean, dude, I have never been a Terrace Marshall uh, believer in the NFL. I liked his prospect profile, but you know, last year in reception perception, he was like in the basement against man zone press, you know, all of the coverages. Right. Um, so was not expecting much, but he pretty much had the best game of his career against the Falcons yesterday. Yeah, and it was funny to see him pop off because after fantasy Twitter Twitter basically put him in the Hall of Fame last preseason, uh, I had kind of forgotten about him uh, based <laughs> yeah, on all yeah. those tweets. Because then he, as you said, he, he had a terrible uh, RP profile and didn't do much in the NFL. I really have no idea what to make of Terrace Marshall's breakout. I don't know if it was a product of that crazy, like actually very entertaining game between Carolina and Atlanta uh, down there in the in the wild NFC South. But, you know, I mean, he had nine targets uh, yesterday, which was uh, more than he'd had the entire season up to that point. So I don't know if it was just he happened to get open, if it, they were all on. I didn't watch the game hyper-focused because it was more of a red zone game for me, but it popped up a lot. Or was it the product of some P.J. Walker extended plays? I'm not sure. Nine targets is, is you know, something that we should be take notice of if it sticks around. But based on Marshall's recent trajectory and just that offense in general, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be buying in from fantasy or, or real life at this point, but Hey, good for him to have a nice game there. The the way I'll, uh, if I'm painting optimistic here with Terrace Marshall and like, they have pretty much made him 
a full-blown starter. You know, 96.7 routes per dropback the last two weeks since Robbie Anderson was officially shown the door by the Carolina Panthers. The one thing that's different between this year and last year is like they're having him play a lot more on the perimeter. Last year, they kind of wanted to make him a big slot. He was sort of a big slot his last year at LSU, obviously after Justin Jefferson left. Um, But so far in this two-game stretch, he's only played 11% of his snaps inside. He's been a pure outside receiver. And I think that like that fits so much better for Terrace Marshall. Like I think if he's going to be a guy that's going to succeed in the NFL, he has to be – like running go routes and running slant routes as an outside receiver. And also, by the way, this has made DJ Moore like a, not a full slot receiver, but a 37% slot guy, which is a lot more than we've seen in previous years. Like I've always hated the fact that the Panthers just toss old DJ Moore out at X receiver. Like that's a guy that they need to get moving around. And if Terrace Marshall can kind of emerge as an X receiver for this team, I think he can make a few, I don't know if he's ever going to be a legit starter, but I think he's, I'm feeling slightly more hopeful than I was two, certainly two, three weeks ago with Terrace Marshall, where I was like, I don't even know if he'll ever make a blip. Yeah, th- those are good stats to to note. And I was actually going to try and see if there was a, a next-gen stats route chart for Terrace Marshall. I'm going to shock you and tell you that there isn't, just to see what types of routes and things he was getting open on quickly. But while I was scrolling down to find him, I did stumble across DJ Moore's route chart. And not only are they using him in the slot more, but a lot of his big plays and targets appear to have come on plays in the slot. So that is encouraging, as you said, if Marshall unlocks that. And that does make more sense for the type of player he was in college and in the NFL. Like, the big slot is very trendy in the NFL if you can get the right type of player to do it. But not everybody has that type of body yeah, or skill set. And it seems like they were doing a square peg round hole thing with him there last year. So if he's feeling more natural and, and able to run the types of routes that he's going to succeed at better, maybe I'll be a little more optimistic. I Like I said, I didn't watch that game with a close enough eye. But if that's what the numbers are starting to point out, then then I'll, I'll you know tune in next week and see see how he does. You know who'd make a great big slot, Gelhar? DJ Moore, DJ Moore, (laughs) (laughs) like like that guy, that guy should be doing the Debo Samuels, not the Debo Samuels, a slot receiver, but like, he's a flanker slot guy. Like he could be doing the, the Cooper cup stuff. Um, DJ Moore could, I think so. And, and I, I, like I said, I'll never forgive Matt rule. I'll never forgive Matt rule for a lot of stuff, but the fact that they just made DJ Moore like an X receiver and never moved him around for like three plus years, unforgivable. Un- unforgivable uh the damn panthers my god man uh next guy i want to talk about here darius slayton darius slayton over the last two weeks 12 targets eight catches 124 yards gelhart to me it's a little weird i love almost like probably 99 percent of what brian dable and joe shane have done and mike kafka as office coordinator have done in new york it's a little weird that through all of this wide receiver chaos that they've gone through it took them kind of forever to land on darius slayton who is like a solid wide receiver four for an NFL team. And they were running out some practice squad bros at different times this year. Yeah, it, it took them a little while. I mean, I feel like Slayton has been good at popping up randomly throughout it. And I'm wondering if he gets a, a larger shaky like this, if he can make some plays, because he's a guy that's that's been on our radar a, a fair amount, I feel like, over the every year for stretches. Granted, whether it's health or other reasons, he hasn't like maintained that success. But uh, he's he was the one on this list where I was like, well, did he ever really die? Or was he just kind of like in the hospital for a little bit out of the hospital for your <laughs> Halloween fair. bit, you know, yeah. he, he's just, he's like a bit, maybe a hypochondriac or he's just always got something wrong. You know, one, one ailment he gets out and that triggers something else and he's back in. But, um, 
you know what? That's it's, fair. It's the, the reason I put him in there was because there were reports in training camp that they wanted to like trade him or pretend that he was potentially on the roster bubble, which felt weird because we're you know, like we said earlier with the Giants, like you don't got an embarrassment of riches over there. I mean, you you have a lot of riches in terms of money you've shelled out to Kenny Kenny Galladay and like draft picks to take Kadarius Tony, but you know it was just weird that they always were like so ready and willing and Sterling Shepard too, you know. Prayers up to Sterling Shepard. Force, force him out. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, uh, dude, yeah, it just was always a little weird to me that they never, like, really kind of landed on, okay, we'll just play this guy now. Yeah, even as just, like, a regular role player, I had forgotten about the rumors that they wanted to kick him out of town. I was like, well, this guy's been solid. Like, he's the kind of guy you'd probably want to keep in there, especially for your younger quarterback. But, you know, he, he he's there. That's what we could say about Darius Slayton right now. He's, he's there in the Giants offense, and uh, I'm hopeful that he keeps getting more opportunities. Yeah, actually, weirdly, in terms of the guys we've talked about for fantasy, I think Darius Slayton might have the most like staying power just because of the opportunity there. And I, I like Wandale Robinson. You know, he didn't have the big stat game against the Seahawks defense, which, by the way, I think we need to kind of recalibrate expectations for the Seahawks defense. That's a really, really good group now. That's a really young group that's now kind of, you know, maybe coming up from the basement of the NFL to being like, I don't know. 17th 18th best defense in the league right now something like that which is more than good enough with how their offense is playing so um i feel like wandell robinson and darius slayton give you some staying power there at wide receiver um last guy i want to talk about and i barely want to talk about this guy but chase claypool i uh, chase claypool is tied for 15th in the nfl in targets among wide receivers over the last uh, three weeks. He's tied for 14th over the last two weeks. Deontay Johnson, you know, oh my God, he's like seventh in this time span. You wouldn't know it, but I hate the Steelers offense, Gelhar, with a with a burning passion. Like the, not the players, whatever, but like the design of it, Matt Canada's offense. I hate it for a lot of reasons, but do you have any hope for Chase Claypool as a guy who, you know, can, I don't know, keep, keep, producing sort of kind of if he gets traded before the deadline i'd have a lot more hope in chase claypool but i'm with you the matt canada offense is super frustrating and it's not a you know secret in any circle of the nfl from pundits from you know analysts from armchair quarterbacks to even the rookie quarterback calling out the offense uh which is like impressive for kenny pickett and man is that damning for matt canada and that offense it's it's i don't know about Kenny pickett though saying like guys don't study enough i feel like players are probably not going to, by the way, he's probably talking about Chase Claypool, but I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah I don't know if guys are going to love that though. Yeah, I felt like there's maybe something behind beneath the surface for that, that maybe it's more of a guys aren't studying because they're sick of the offense and, and not motivated to play in it kind of thing. Maybe I'm being too generous to pick it, but you know, it's this offense is so frustrating and Claypool's got all the tools, but with an offense that's so like lateral and doesn't attack as much downfield or, or come up with other ways to use Claypool's athleticism. I'm just not hopeful. I don't want to have much, you know, buy into the, uh, the Pittsburgh offense in general. I've been watching George Pickens on my, my bench and occasionally in my starting lineup in some leagues, just like, what am I do? Why did I do this to myself yeah. in, you know, deeper wide receiver leagues, but maybe there'll be a change at some point, maybe next year. I don't know. They've got so many tools to be so mundane. It's, it's infuriating. Claypool might be a guy that at the end of the year, he could get, um, 
he could get traded. I feel like in, in the off season, probably not in the middle. I still, you know, Hey, this might come out after the trade deadline and I look like an idiot, but I feel like he'd be more of an off season trade candidate. And he's certainly not AJ Brown. He's certainly not Tyree kill. Like we talked about earlier. Um, he's probably about 10 tiers down from those players, but, um, he could maybe make a difference somewhere else as like a bigger slot guy, but I don't know. I've been pretty frustrated with Chase Claypool, so I'm not buying that one. Honestly, I feel like the only one I'm, I'm buying for fantasy is Darius Slayton. Um, Same, and then the other right guy, like, <laughs> I think for like a real, I'm, I'll keep like the candle lit a little bit for Terrace Marshall, but not super hopeful. And then Paris Campbell, I think good real life player, but probably not much of a fantasy factor. All right, Gelhar, last thing here before we get out of here teams were panicking on. Um, and I only say this because you're a Packers fan and I want to give you some time to talk about the Packers. Well, I, you know, that should be more between like me and my therapist probably to talk about the Packers, but Good I think it's, it's become, you know, you guys had me on a few weeks ago and we were talking about the Packers offense struggling then. And I had talked about how it could, you know, they have a thin margin for error, but it could work if Rogers played more within the structure and actually threw to guys and they relied on the run and, Still not a lot of that has happened. They've suffered more injuries in that uh, passing attack. And then the defense, despite having still a pretty good passing defense, my God, are they horrible against the run. I don't know what it is every year with this team, but they they have set themselves up in a position where this defense could work if the offense could score. You know, theoretically, the Packers would go down, eat up time, score a touchdown. Then, oh, shoot, other teams are going to have to throw against this great pass <laughs> defense, not run the ball. But the offense can't score, and every other team can just run the ball against them at will. So it's just a, a bit of a disaster right now. Uh, and I think, you know, Rodgers is to blame for it a lot, too, because he's um, he's not playing that well. He's not trusting any of his guys. You watch some of, like, the end zone angles or, or the all-22, and he's got guys that he could you know, hit the bottom of his drop and release a throw to, but he's so he's either not trusting of them, that then he's getting skittish and running around or he's just flipping it out there too early to like a check down and it's just not working. So he's playing poorly. The wide receivers are, aren't great. It was good to see some flashes from, from Dobbs again um, on that Sunday night game, but man, this team is, is looking bad and there's no way they're going to win the NFC North. They're, they're no, so far yeah, behind they're Minnesota so far behind. now. And granted, you know, it's the NFC. Maybe they can sneak into a wild card, but it's doubtful. So I think this team is going to have to take a lot of, uh, you know, tough looks in the mirror and make some decisions come come the end of the year. But yeah, they, they have been a massive disappointment from obviously trading Devonta Adams is, is a huge loss for a player of that caliber. But you would have thought given the consistency, Lafleur, Rodgers, those running backs, they'd be able to put it together a little bit more. But my God, is it is it t- a tough watch sometimes? <laughs> I think on the other side of it, like teams I'm panicking on, the Raiders at this point, I'm I'm very concerned about what's going on in Vegas. And I feel like it's sort of gone under the radar with how many NFC teams are disappointing right now. But the Raiders have won two games this year. And I mean, these la- like they go 0-3 to start. Never a good sign. You always put yourself in a hole. You go in 0-3. Um, they win against the Russell Wilson-led Broncos congratulations um you know they have a competitive game against the chiefs but then and then they beat the texans that's great that's great but then to get blanked by the saints you know the andy dalton led saints who have a ton of injury their pass rush is still good in new orleans and it looked better the last couple of weeks and especially against the raiders who have a terrible offensive line um but they're they're missing players in secondary like marshawn Lattimore has been hurt uh for the new orleans saints and you know for their target distribution to look like it did you know, over the course of the season and especially uh, against new Orleans, very concerning. I I'm, 
you know, Devontae Adams has been pretty decent so far this year. I mean, 28%, 29% target share, but you know, Matt Collins is at like 17%. I know they've had injuries, but I mean, for Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro to be like, and especially Renfro, I know he's, he's missed some time, but still he's been, he was out there last game, just not getting any volume. Like we always say that sometimes it doesn't have to be that hard. Like you just need to throw the ball to your good players. You just need to get the ball to your good players. Like the giants don't have a lot of good players, but they get the ball to Saquon Barkley all the time. Cause he's one of the, he's their good player. The Raiders are not doing that, and it's very concerning. I think for the Josh McDaniels experience, for the Derek Carr experience, a lot of open questions there coming towards the end of the year. I mean, we were told that Josh McDaniels had learned his lessons from his last time as a head coach. And as you put it, getting blanked like this is a bit – they had 183 yards of total offense against the Saints in a 60-minute football game. 183 yards. There were a number of players this week that topped that on their own. So it's just – it's mind boggling that they've been so bad. Like you said, with the talent, um, I, I just don't, I don't understand what the issues are. And like, it's gotta, it's gotta be coming down to McDaniels or the scheme or something like last year, this offense was fun uh, with Renfro and Waller when that was like all they had. And and they would keep pace with good, with good offenses regularly. You know, they beat the chiefs. They went, they had an excellent game at the end of the season with the chargers. You know, the one thing their, their team could do was put up points, but this year that to, for the offense to just completely fall apart and be over-reliant on Mac Hollins and Foster Moreau, like what Very Amir, Amir Abdullah, I heard his name for the first time. I feel like in three years on Sunday, like what are, what are we doing? Josh McDaniels, what's happening? Raiders are a great call and they're actually below the uh, let's ride Denver Broncos in the standings now. So that tells you how bad not they where are. You want to be, that is not where you want to be. All right, Gelhard, this was awesome. Uh, tell the people about what you got coming up in the RP notebook this week, which is a great column on a great website, receptionperception.com. Well, I think we're probably going to hit on some of those big players uh, this week from fantasy and, and what it might hold, you know, the Christian McCaffrey move, Tony Pollard, AJ Brown, kind of taking a look at some of those splash performances and what might be the takeaways from that. And we'll see what other nuggets and, and storylines pop up to me as I uh, get rolling on that thing here once we're done recording. Love it. All right. Well, people out there, definitely make sure you subscribe to the website, receptionperception.com. Got the rookie report in the works. That's going to be fun. Got a lot of information coming on all of your favorite rookies who are and are not popping off in fantasy, and we'll be able to tell you why very shortly. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. We'd love you for it. Appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next time.